Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Shows like ours are possible because of generous sponsorships. And I want to thank our sponsor, Pledge Manager by KickTrack. A pledge manager is something that you use after the campaign to help manage all of those thousands of backers that you've got. And what sets Pledge Manager apart is that they don't make any money off of your Kickstarter campaign. That's your money. You get to put that money in your pocket. Pledge Manager by KickTrack makes their money because they help you generate income afterwards with additional pledges. And that's one of the things that sets them apart. It's one of the things I like about them, and I appreciate them being a great sponsor. My guest today is Alex Goldsmith. Alex is, I think he said he's the chief noisemaker for Gray Fox Games, and I've invited him to the show to talk specifically about minimal pledges like a $5 or $1 pledge, because they did something kind of unique with their latest project, and so I wanted to have him come on the show and talk about it. Alex, thanks for joining me. Richard, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The, you are with Gray Fox Games, and you did. You told me, chief noisemaker, what does a chief noisemaker do? <laughs> well, when you're at a small publisher or, or, or a relatively small publisher, you have to wear a lot of hats. And the job duties when I was brought on to Gray Fox about a year and a half ago uh, tied in more to marketing at its core, but also things like uh, social media, things things such as convention presence. And really the, the broader broader job function is just make sure as many people as possible know about and can play our games. And so, hence the term Chief Noisemaker. Uh, my boss was kind enough to let me give myself my own job title. So, uh, I will tell you this. I stole that uh, the idea of it anyway from Suzanne Sheldon, who uh, does work with Restoration Games, and named herself Master of Fireworks. And uh, so I wanted a, I wanted an interesting job title of my own. So there you go. Choice, Chief Noisemaker it is. That works. And then you've been with Gray Fox Games. So tell us a little bit about Gray Fox Games. Sure. So, so Gray Fox Games is a, a smaller publisher, originally started in Florida. It was the publishing arm under Cool Stuff, Inc. Uh, then it uh, was separated out. The, the owner of Gray Fox went uh, his separate ways and uh, was picked up by Miniature Market here in St. Louis. And then uh, about, uh, about eh, nine months ago, close to a year, uh, we split off and became even independent from Miniature Market. So uh, Gray Fox Games is a, a standalone publisher. Uh, we are best known for Champions of Midgard, a Viking worker placement game. And we're also pretty well known for Deception, Murder in Hong Kong, which is a social deduction game. Perfect. And the, ca- and the campaign we're here to talk about is because, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw a post by Jamie Stegmeyer mentioning this campaign because you had done something rather unique, or at least it was enough to bring up a conversation. And Jamie's always looking at the situations from the, the conversation standpoint about experimenting and ideas. And that was that we've talked about this idea of a dollar pledge of having people be able to back a campaign just for a dollar to kind of stay in touch. But you went ahead and moved that to a $5 pledge. And it was interesting that you had done that. The difference is subtle because at a dollar pledge, people get to, prov- they still get updates, but the $5 pledge, you added a bit of a wrinkle. Tell me what kind of made the decision that you went with a five, because you really don't get anything for five bucks, uh, but you went ahead and did that anyway, and you got 181 people to give you $5. What was the thought process behind that? Yeah, it, it was something, Richard, that we'd noticed with an uptick in dollar backers. So uh, to give some background for folks, we did a campaign for the expansions for Champions of Midgard uh, back uh, shortly before I was hired in, in 2017. And on that campaign, for, for perspective, it had 7,000 backers, and of those, 143 of those were pledged at the dollar level. So uh, a, a fairly small percentage, a, a decent chunk, but a fairly small percentage. On the sequel to that, on Reavers of Midgard, we had noticed that on that campaign, again, smaller campaign, didn't have quite as many backers, uh, shy of, just shy of 6,000, 921 people had pledged at the dollar level. 
And we had seen an uptick with that with other campaigns. Title Blades was running at about the same time. They had seen an uptick in dollar backers. And, and we had seen this phenomenon play out. We had also seen a number of backers, especially when they were looking at stretch goals, express some amount of concern tied to that. Certainly, there are plenty of reasons people will back at a dollar pledge level. Uh, some of it is they just want to follow the updates. Some of it is tied into uh, they, they don't have the money now and would like to upgrade later in, in the pledge manager. And, and there are plenty of valid reasons someone would want to pledge at a dollar pledge level. When we were looking at it, though, the stretch goals tied to this, or at least how we've run stretch goals, those stretch goals, the dollar pledge doesn't, doesn't quite contribute as much towards those stretch goals as someone pledging for a full copy of the game. So someone can sit back, have other people pledge at a higher amount, unlock better stretch goals, and then maybe come in later and take advantage of, of the fruits of that labor in a sense. And so we had heard some backers who were upset about that specific side of things. And we weren't really sure how to handle it. Uh, there were some ideas that came up initially. And what we did ultimately was we actually put out a survey to Reavers of Midgard backers and, and asked them for feedback on this. Looking for folks who backed at the dollar level and looking for folks who backed at, at a full, full pledge level, a full game pledge level. And we ended up receiving 742 responses to that survey. And the responses were split. Uh, we, we asked people what, what pledge level they pledged at, why they pledged for a dollar, and what they would think a, a solution to this might be going forward. And we had a number of suggestions. And as part of our next campaign for War of the Worlds, The New Wave, we wanted to try and see if having two different of those pledge levels would, would make sense. So... Uh, we went ahead and established a dollar pledge level for folks to still follow along with campaign updates if that, that's what they wanted to do to keep the project uh, th th keep themselves apprised of the project, and then also created a five dollar pledge level so that folks are contributing uh, have a little more skin in the game to contribute towards stretch goals and and be able to still upgrade their pledge later in the pledge manager. And so this was really driven by, from what it sounds like, it was driven by a post campaign pledge manager effort rather than just simply inside the campaign itself. Is that accurate? I, I, I may not be understanding that question fully. It, it, was, it was driven in some ways by, by folks who would be able to, and we'd had some complaints tied to this, be able to get the benefits of, of stretch goals being unlocked by folks who are willing to put up the money now for the game versus folks who would, would maybe sit back and then upgrade later. Okay, so tell, uh, so let's talk about that because I'm having difficulty sure. kind of understanding that. So if I pledge at a dollar level and I'm in yes. your campaign and then along come the stretch goals, I can then take advantage of that. But if I had not pledged at the dollar level, couldn't I still take advantage of the stretch goals by coming in later? So you, you, the way we will structure this is that in a post-campaign pledge manager, we will offer pre-orders of a game. We, we obviously don't want to lock out people who uh, just happen to find out about the campaign late. But we don't have that necessarily count towards stretch goals. We obviously have to plan out what we want to include in the game, what kinds of promos we want to unlock, what kinds of uh, miniatures or other things will make sense. And when we do offer those pre-orders, we offer those at a higher price point than what the Kickstarter backers uh, would have that at. Got it. So, that's, so that was my original question then. So this, this decision to go with $5 versus $1 really was to say, okay, those who get to take advantage of the post-campaign pledge manager are only going, in its fullness, are only those who back the campaign. That is correct. Yeah, to, to, to both get, 
uh, all of the stretch goals, uh, things that come with the campaign, as well as have access to get it at the price that it was listed for on the Kickstarter or during the Kickstarter. And a, so a, a $1 pledge on your campaign gets you to participate and actually follow along, but does not get you access to the pledge manager versus the $5 campaign, which gets you to the pledge manager. That's correct. Got it. And so I understand now that you were just kind of saying, okay, are people willing to pay $5 just so they can gain access later on to be participant? And and how do you think the experiment worked? How well did it turn out? Well, if, if I'm looking at the percentage numbers, so if I was looking at the percentage count of uh, the, the approximate percentage of backers who uh, pledged at the dollar level for Readers of Midgard, our most recent larger campaign, versus the, the percentage of folks who didn't pledge for a full game, pledged at either the $5 or the $1 level, the percentage is pretty close to the same, pretty close to, to where it would be normally. Uh, if you look at the campaign, uh, we had 43 backers at the dollar level and 181 backers at the $5 level out of uh, just shy of 2,000 on the campaign as a whole. Which is a, so, a little above, what, 20%, right? Uh, it's, it's, uh, no, it's a little bit above uh, 10%. Sorry, closer you're to, right. To, yeah, I can't do, don't do live math on air, right? <laughs> That's yes, all right. You're right. Just a little above 10%. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's about it's about 11 or 12 percent. Again, my 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 quick math isn't is going to fail me a little bit here, but it's it's right in that range. And that's about the same range that it was at for Reavers of Midgard in terms of folks actively complaining in comments. I believe we saw one post on Facebook to this effect, but I don't recall seeing much more uh, in terms of people either asking about or confused about this. This uh, it's pretty well laid out in the in the pledge levels themselves. And uh, I didn't see a ton of complaints tied to it. Doesn't it, it? There may have been some that I wasn't aware of, but certainly in terms of feedback, it did not receive uh, certainly a mountain of negative feedback. Right, and at five dollars, I think I'm looking at it, and right now it looks like it kind of worked. Is that okay? 181 people said, "Fine, I'll pay the five dollars. I'll put a little bit more money in." And five dollars is not. I mean, it sounds like insignificant, but with 181 backers, that's almost a thousand dollars. That's right. Yeah, that, and 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 that money does count towards the pledge. Uh, to get towards getting the full game if they decide to upgrade. Right, right. So I, I like I like that. Well, I'll be interested to see is how it played out down the road. I mean, did did it achieve what your goal was going to? Now, this game, this project that you've done, you guys have done a lot of projects with a lot of success. As we were talking beforehand, you discovered that this one there was a, a bit of uncertainty on this one, right? Yeah, just going into this, we had had a previous campaign for a two-player only game, uh, Bushido which is at its core two-player game. You can play it four players if you get two sets. And it, it was one of our lowest-performing campaigns in the past, which is a shame because it's actually my favorite game we've ever, we've ever created. This campaign, coming into it, we knew the theme would draw people in. It's a very thematic game. It, uh, it uses deck building in a really interesting way. We just weren't sure exactly where it would end up. Uh, internal guesses put us at about mm, anywhere from 50,000 to 80,000 if we had to guess. And it really, it really did significantly outperform our expectations. And, and as I told you earlier uh, before we came on the show, I backed it because two reasons. One, Jamie Stegmeyer mentioned it, and I feel like a well-trained pigeon. If Jamie says something, <laughs> ding, I go, I go and buy it. I've got to stop listening to that guy. And then the second thing was, Two-player. I was drawn to it because it was a two-player. I don't back too many projects. I've backed two in the past two years, and they were both done in the last week. One was uh, Got Genius Games because they – I guess it's not a game. It's a project. They're anatomy puzzles that they put out. Um, John Covey does a great job over there. And uh, then your guys' project that you put out. And so I'm very fascinated. For me, it was the two-player aspect that really drew me in because I'm always looking for a good – 
particularly thematic two-player game that allows uh, me to play it with my, uh, my, my fiance. She enjoys playing the games, and I want to play games with her, so that makes it work. Then do you know which side you're going to play more as? Do you want to be Team Human or Team Alien? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I'll probably be... Now, it looks like from the graphic art that Team Human is blue. Yes, yes. So I might be playing Team Human because they're oh. blue. Oh, no, I actually have that backwards. Sorry, Team Alien is blue. Team Alien's blue. Then I'll probably be Team Alien. Um, she likes red, and she likes humans. And uh, I think and, and if it's like any other game that we play, we play Duel, which is a great thematic game. Uh, we play uh, Duel, uh, Seven Wonders Duel, which has nothing to do with Seven Wonders, but it's Duel. And then Lost Cities. And uh, we'll play a variety of other games. And I am an experienced decades game player. She is recently in our relationship over the last few years begun to play games. We play a game, two or three games a night uh, on average is usually at least one game a, a night, but often two or three. And so she'll, you, I'll usually beat her at the more, what do you want to say, playable games, longer uh, strategy games. But then she'll say, okay, let's go play Duel or let's go play uh, Lost Cities. And then she just crushes me. I'm like, what <laughs> She's is got it? your number, huh? So I saw this one and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get her back at I'm going to get back at her. As you went into this project and you started to manage it, what are some of the things, because you've done this, and there are people out there who are looking at what you're doing and your project, This now you said this one didn't, it performed better, but it wasn't exactly one of your best ones, but it was $126,000 with 2,000 backers, right? And so it's kind of like, well, I wish I had that kind of failure, um, right? <laughs> oh, no, no, this is by no means a failure. Exactly. Let's, let's, be, let's be very clear. No, this, this actually blew, blew away our expectations. Okay, good. We're, we're really excited with how the game did. Uh, it, it's just it, relative to, certainly we've raised more on other campaigns, but this, this one for, for what we were expecting uh, way overperformed, no so, doubt. As a game company, you have built a model that allows you to use Kickstarter to regularly produce your games and put them out there, right? That's right. What, and, and so when you do that, I mean, and you've got some hits, half a million dollars, $400,000, $126,000 for this one. There's, is there a secret formula or a secret sauce that Gray Fox Games is, is using that they feel that they've tapped into that's allowing them to consistently generate such sig- uh, significant wins with their projects? Now, I, I, will say, I will say this. I think the biggest key, there's so, there's so many keys, but the key with any, any company trying to get traction and get success on Kickstarter is... I think having obviously a track record, if you've done this before and put out a number of projects, people can trust that they're going to get what they paid for and, and get it in a reasonably timely fashion. We certainly haven't been on time with every single project, but we're usually within a month or two. So get it on time. Uh, the idea of reliability, I think, helps well. High quality. Uh, if, if it's games people tend to enjoy, I think that helps. But I think if you're looking for a secret sauce thing, Richard, I think the biggest thing for us is tied into uh, newsletter. Is, is, our, is our company newsletter. And that's something we've really been able to grow and, and use to help uh, share, share what's coming next with folks and really help build a, a community. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been a pretty big win for us. It's, it's about a 15,000-person uh, email newsletter list, which oftentimes they, they are our biggest champions of our projects and, and able to uh, provide a nice, a nice base for us when we launch something new. In the last couple of minutes we have then, let's explore that. When you talk about your newsletter, how, uh, how do you go about collecting those names? And then how do you go about um, deciding what content gets distributed and how often that newsletter goes out? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a little more frequently than uh, than some folks like uh, Jamie's Jamie's company newsletter. I believe is a monthly one. Ours tends to be closer to two to three times a month. Uh, this newsletter will contain uh, special deals for subscribers. Uh, whenever we release promos for our games and put those for sale on our website, those will get announced there. Uh, we run contests. Currently, we're running something called a random box contest, where one of our subscribers will win a seven hundred dollar game topper bundle. Uh, so that has been a big part of engagement, uh, putting little Easter eggs in there and putting behind the scenes things. So not just you know selling people on our games, but also having them be behind the scenes and see what we're up to uh, uh, as we're as we're building these games and moving them towards either a launch on Kickstarter or retail release or whatever we're doing. But it's a good way of sharing and having people feel uh, invested to a degree in, in in what we're up to. So that's the content side of things. In terms of where we're getting names from, uh, those are those are all people who will opt in typically either through the website or in uh, post-Kickstarter, we will, through BackerKit, ask them if they'd like to be a member of the newsletter or not. And then anyone who signs up through that, that's usually a bit of a snowball effect that's built where you get backers from one campaign, ask if they'd like to sign up for the newsletter, they sign up for the newsletter, and then the folks on that newsletter will then hopefully back future campaigns and be yep. more aware of future campaigns. And it does. It starts to feed on itself. And uh, with the success that you've had and the thousands and thousands of backers that you had, it begins easier and easier for you to do that. The last question I have then is, is that you talked about early when you introduced yourself of as the noisemaker, one of the things that you do is spend some time on social. Uh, my last question as we wrap up with the last two minutes or th- three minutes here is, how are you using social to effectively communicate what you're doing? And is it just broadcast? Is there engagement? Is there community building? How are you doing that? It's it's a mixed bag, and it's something that we're still trying to figure out in some ways. I, I will say uh, our, our biggest presences are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We've looked into things like Pinterest, but it's it's been a harder nut for us to crack. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, you want to look for engagement. So for instance, for that random Fox contest, I mentioned something we recently started doing was asking people for gift suggestions. And if we pick their gift suggestion on social media, they get entered into that contest as well, which again, encourages people to sign up for the newsletter. So they have potentially more chances of winning that contest, but also encourages them to interact on social media. Uh, of course, you know, the typical things of sharing, uh, sharing photos of the game or asking people about their game experiences, or we've recently had someone use uh, champions of Midgard as part of a a wedding proposal, sharing things like that are things we love to do. Uh, but we also love love thanking people. If people are, are, are speaking positively about our games and, and enjoying them and playing them, we want that to be acknowledged. So we will retweet fans all the time, respond to fans all the time, um, try and be a, a good member of the gaming community because I think, I think folks in this hobby really value that. I think you're right there. Uh, they certainly do. There's a community sense of, uh, around the entire, uh, particularly Kickstarter, uh, the, the enthusiasm that people feel that they got to participate in the creation of something uh, that they get to enjoy and, and see on their table and play with each other. Alex, thank you very much for joining me on the show. This has been very informative. Thank you for sharing a little bit about uh, the success and what you've been doing with War of the Worlds and some of the projects you've been working on. Thanks, Richard. Anytime. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Alex Goldsmith with Gray Fox Games as we've talked about the $1 and $5 pledge, what led them to do that and kind of the results that they've seen from that, as well as some of the things they've done to promote and market their games. Hopefully you found something inspiring. I always do. Thanks for listening. Take care.